Welcome to our sermon podcast here at City of Light Anglican Church. We are a new church in Aurora, Illinois, finding a new day in Jesus. We want to see the light of Jesus rise and shine in our hearts, in our homes, and in our neighborhoods. Thanks for joining us for today's message from Father Trevor. been in this series about what it means to live our life together as the church, as the household or family of God. And today we're talking about God's household as a generous household. And we've talked about different kinds of generosity in in the, the last year. We've talked about generosity of heart towards others. We've talked about hospitality as generosity, inviting others into our lives and into our homes and into our households. This morning we're going to talk about a specific type of generosity, financial generosity. Now sometimes when pastors talk about money, there can be, uh, you know, some thoughts or baggage or even distrust. I went ahead and Googled pastor and money this week, and uh, the first responses that came up were pastor money problems, pastor money for jet, pastor money laundering, Pastor money gif, and those weren't as funny as I was hoping for in the midst of that list, and then a bunch of other variations of jets and stealing. So that's what came up. And just this year, a pastor in Houston was indicted for fraud, and a televangelist announced that he was raising $54 million for a new jet. So yeah, sometimes we have mistrust of pastors talking about money. Maybe those are big uh, areas of mistrust. Maybe they're just simple, small things. Why can't we just keep our spiritual lives and our financial lives separate? Why do those have to overlap and go together? You know, people ask me a lot of questions about church and money. And if you're new to doing church together and the life in the church, or if you're new to this church, if you've been to other churches, um, maybe it would be helpful to just answer a couple of these. These are the three questions I get asked the most about church and money. And the first one is, well, how do you handle money as a church? How do you handle it responsibly? How do you take care of it? And for us as a church, um, we carefully handle our money. We set a budget at the beginning of the year with the board that provides accountability and oversight. And then we only spend money on things that we've budgeted it for. And then every dollar that's given or that's spent is meticulously tracked, and I could tell you where every single dollar has gone since we've started in 2015. And all of that information is open to anyone who wants to know it. So how do we handle money? Like really carefully, really prayerfully, and really openly. Second question I get asked a lot is, well, what's your deal at the church? How does that work? And well, I'm a full-time employee here at City of Light. I have a salary. It's not based on commission. I'm not a CEO, I'm not a salesperson, I don't have franchise quotas to hit for attendance or giving, and that doesn't impact my finances. I just, I have a set salary. That's how it works for me. And the third question, well, how does a church like this get started financially? And the answer to that is that there were over 100 people and a dozen different churches that God moved to give to us financially for two, some of them, three years so that this church could be birthed. So we were birthed out of the generosity of the family of God. And since then, we, as our local church, have been giving generously. And now, in 2018, for the first time, all of our giving is just us 
and we're supporting all of our ministry, and we're supporting our budget. We're all through this year so far, almost 10 months in, we're self-sustaining. That's a beautiful thing. So I'm not preaching on finances this morning because we're in some sort of financial struggle. So why are we talking about it? Why can't we separate out our financial lives and our spiritual lives? When we think about our church life, it includes money because money is not just a physical or logistical reality. Money has meaning. Or to say it another way, for us as Anglicans, money has a sacramental reality. The word sacramental, it means that there's a a physical reality of something that is communicating a spiritual reality. There's an outward visible reality, money, dollars, cents, credit card balances, bank accounts, but there's a spiritual reality that goes along with it of what that money means. So we see the idea of a sacrament most clearly here in our Eucharist table that we come to every Sunday where there are physical realities, the bread and the wine, but they are communicating and making present a spiritual reality that Jesus is with us in the bread and the wine, and he's with us in the church. And when we start to see the world with that sacramental understanding, then we go, money's not neutral. Money has meaning. We can't compartmentalize our spiritual lives and our physical lives. And we see this in really simple ways every day. When someone buys you a cup of coffee, it has meaning. It could mean that they want you to wake up and stop being so grumpy. It could mean that they're a friend and they're excited to catch up with you. It could mean that they know that you're struggling financially and they just want to take care of that reality for you. It could mean that they like you. And that's the most confusing one to determine the meaning of. But, but buying a cup of coffee can help with that. So what does money mean to you? If money has meaning, what does money mean to you? What is your relationship with money? Henry Nouwen is a Catholic writer and priest, and he he writes about our relationships with money. He says this, what is the place of money in our lives? The importance of money is so tied up with relationships that it seems almost impossible to think about it without also thinking about how family life has influenced our relationship with money. What is your family of origin financial life like? What he's saying here is the way that money worked in our household growing up or the way that money works in our household now is going to impact the way that money works in our household here as a church. And that money might have meanings in our households or in the households we grow up that are different and the meaning that God wants money to have in his household and the way he wants us to relate to money in his house. So what was your household like growing up? What's your household like now? Do you talk about money? When you talk about it, is it a stressful conversation? Or is it an easy conversation? Is it an angry conversation? Is it a hopeful conversation? Is it a despairing conversation? Or is it one that's so fraught that you know if you just make one little misstep in how you talk about it, it's a really bad conversation? 
How did you talk about it? How did your family use money growing up? How does your family use money now? Most folks' relationship with money is going to be similar to their parents' relationship with money or as different as we can possibly make it from our parents' relationship with money. So how do you think about it? How do you use it? It comes through especially when we don't have a lot of it or when we do. And everything in between, too. So when you have money or when you don't have money or when you're thinking about money, do you feel like it gives you control or do you feel out of control? Do you feel anxious about money or peaceful about money? Does it add to how you understand your worth? Do you feel powerful? Do you feel like you belong? Do you feel shame? Do you feel fear? How do you use your money? Do you use it to change how you feel? Do you buy different feelings with your money? By the things you buy or the experiences you buy or the food you buy or the relationships you buy? If you had an extra $20, what would you do with it? That might tell you how you feel about it or how you use it. Do you have a budget? Do you have goals for the things you will buy, for the places you will travel, for the money you will save? Do you have goals for the generosity that you want to live with, with your money? Our relationship with our money matters. Our relationship our households have with money matters because it impacts our relationship with our father in his house and with our brothers and sisters in his house. If we're going to be a part of the life of the church, then we're going to be part of the household of God. And God's family, his household, and his family mission that his household is a part of thinks about money differently. Money means something different in the household of God. If the church was just a club, then we would pay our dues and we would get whatever club benefits are included with that membership fee. If the church was a business, then we would be a client and we would give uh, the price of the business in exchange for the services that are run from a budget and that business would always be trying to grow the budget so it could provide more and better services to more and better people. So we would pay that and if we didn't like the services, we would go somewhere else. If the church were just a nonprofit trying to do something good in the world, and there are lots of nonprofits doing good things in the world, then we would be investors. And the church would line up a um, compelling vision statement about the return on investment that they would provide. And we would give a monthly subscription of $50, or maybe once a year, like we do to the NPR telethon, or to that really annoying thing that pops up on Wikipedia. It makes us feel guilty. All of those can be good organizations, right? But the church isn't a club. It isn't a business. It's not a nonprofit. It's not just an organization. It's a family. And money means something different in the family of God. Money means we have a father. A father who has all things and who gives all things. In the household of God, money means that we have brothers and sisters. 
who share in the family mission and who share in care for one another and for those far from God. In the household of God, money means we have a father and we have a family. And that changes everything. I want to look at those two aspects of this. We have a father and we have a family. And while we do, I just want to invite us to pray one simple prayer. Would you ask the Lord this morning, will you transform what money means in my life? Would you begin to change the meaning of money in my household? Let's pray that right now. I'll give you just a couple moments of quiet. Father, would you teach us from your word how you think about money, how you think about generosity, how you handle it. And Lord, would you make this a word of freedom, a word that um, shows us your goodness, your mercy, that we would respond like the people that Paul's writing to with thanksgiving that overflows. Amen. Let's look at uh, that passage in Corinthians together, and we'll, we'll reference it uh, moment by moment throughout. Um, first, we are a generous household because our Father is generous. Uh, Psalm 50, verse 10 says, God speaking here, he says, every animal in the forest is mine, every cattle on a thousand hills. And my mom used to always sing a, a hymn that had that phrase in it, and I really I did not know what it meant at all until this last summer when I read um, a book by Alexander McCall Smith called The Number One Ladies Detective Agency. It's about this woman uh, who lives in Botswana. She's Botswanan, and she's a detective. And she inherits, um, when her father passes away, all of his cattle. Because all of his money, all of his resources were in cattle. It was like investing in stocks and bonds. And so he was like, well, why would you have paper money? Anything could happen to that. You should have cattle. That is where you invest your money. And so what, what's the Lord saying here? He's saying all the resources are his. He says it even more plainly in Psalm 22. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Now, if everything in it is the Lord's, what does that say about my money and my house and my car? Who does it ultimately belong to? The Lord has all things. But the Lord, as our Father, also gives all things. He uses what is his which is everything, to provide for those who are his, his family. Look at that with me in uh, 2 Corinthians. We're in chapter 9. It's verse 8. And God is able to bless you abundantly over and above. He can bless abundantly because all things are his. So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. God is a father who has all things, but who loves to give all all things. Jesus says, even evil people give good things to their kids. How much more does the father delight to give good things to his children? In Matthew 5 or 6, Jesus says, it's easy to worry about what you're going to wear and what you're going to eat and where you're going to live. I, I have spent a lot of time worrying about where I'm going to live uh, in the last few months. It's easy to do that. And Jesus says, the father knows what you Turns out he, he knows better than I do even what I need. 
and he will give it to you. So seek first the kingdom of God, what God is doing, and then he will add to you everything that you need. It doesn't mean that we won't have financial hardships. It doesn't mean we won't suffer. We won't go through challenging financial seasons. But God is the one who has all things, who knows what we need, and who uses all that he has to give us all that we need. We're part of a family with a father. And we're part of a family with brothers and sisters. We can be part of a generous household because we're doing it together. We're living like our father together and we share in his family mission. We talked about this a couple weeks ago that the, the family mission of God is to expand his family. So that's why Jesus says, when you seek first the kingdom of God, when you're on the family mission, you'll have everything you need. In our culture, one of the things that money means is that we won't need. Money means autonomy. Money means I won't need anyone else to do the things that I want to do in my life financially. We don't have to need or rely on others. That's one of the things money means in our culture. A friend of ours uh, who wrote the book Yawning at Tigers, his name's Drew Dick, he said, you can always tell what the idols are of a culture. He's talking about the things that we give our time to, that we love, that we invest in meaning. The idols of a culture by the questions you're not allowed to ask. If you don't believe me, just go to your neighborhood barbecue and start asking people their annual income. We hate to talk about money. I read this study, it was done in 2017 with 18 to 40-year-olds, asking them about how they think about money. And the question was this, would you rather talk about how much you weigh or how much you have in savings? 68% said, I'll talk about my weight, yeah. We'd rather talk about what we weighed than what we made. People would rather talk about death, politics, religion, anything other than money, even though study after study shows households and people that talk about money have less debt and make less bad money decisions. There's a story like this in the Bible. Jesus tells it as a parable. He talks about the rich fool. And he tells this story about a guy who's a farmer and he has a bumper crop, just an amazing crop. And he says to himself, he goes, self, it literally says that. He says, uh, myself, what will I do with all of my crops? I know what I'll do. I'll build a barn. So I'll build my barns bigger so I'll have more room for my grains and my goods. And I'll say to my soul, my soul, things are going to be great. I'll eat, drink, and be merry. My barn, my grains, myself, my goods, my soul, mine, 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 mine. It's like those seagulls in Finding Nemo. The, the thing goes on the ground and they're like, mine, 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 mine. That's what this guy sounds like. And the thing that would have been so unthinkable in his culture, in his day, would be for him to make such huge financial decisions without talking to anybody else, only talking to myself. You just didn't do that. You asked God about it first. You asked the other people in the village about it first. This guy doesn't and it proves tragedy for him. But in our culture, not talking to one another about major financial decisions in our life is the norm. 
That's how we normally operate. But not in the household of God. We make our financial decisions. We arrange our financial households with a father and with brothers and sisters. Have you prayed over your budget? And not just the, oh God, (laughs) help. That's a good prayer. The Lord hears that prayer. There's nothing wrong with that prayer. But if you prayed, God, all things are yours. You've given me this. What do you want me to do with it? You had that conversation with a brother or a sister in the household of God. Will you help me pray about how God is leading me to use my resources? Look at verse 10. It says, Now he who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge your harvest of your righteousness. So now he who supplies, that's the, that's the Lord. That's the Father. So it's saying God not only makes our investment grow, makes our seed grow, makes the ministry of his family mission grow, he actually gives us the seed that we then give away. He gives us what he then calls us to give away. He's giving on every side of the equation here. He gives you what we have, he gives each of us what we have so that we can be a part of his family mission. What we do with money is not an autonomous thing because we're in a family, in the household of God. And not everyone gives the same. That's a freeing part of this teaching from Paul. Verse seven, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give in conversation with God, in conversation with one another. But you are responsible Not reluctantly or under compulsion, God loves a cheerful giver. Not everyone's going to give the same dollar amount, but we can all give out of the generosity of what God's given us and with joy to take part in the family mission of God. Jesus tells or teaches us about this widow who comes and she gives a gift that in dollars and cents is really, really small but is her being obedient to what God's called her to give, giving with joy and with sacrifice. And Jesus goes, that's as much as you can ever give. You can never give more than that. The church is like having roommates where you're living as housemates and you're working different jobs and you're you're making different things, but at the end of the month, you get your paycheck and you get the utility bills and you divide everything up and you cover all the expenses between you. That's what the church is like. Even though you know that one housemate is taking hot showers that last way longer than everyone else, and then you've got to figure out, do we talk to them about it, or do we divide that water bill differently? Because it's a household, right? You have to have the conversations, because we're doing it together. It's like having chores, where every person has a job. And why do you have to do that? Why do I have to do the laundry? Why do I have to mow the lawn? Because we're a family. And we're all doing this family mission together. And it's unique to each person. Everyone has a gift. Everyone has a place. Everyone has something to bring and give. Yeah, we work hard. We care for our households. But then we take what the Lord is calling us to and we push it into the middle for the whole household of God, for the family mission of God. We share in the family mission. We share in care for one another. 
And this is the part that makes it all work. Paul, in this passage, is asking the church in Corinth to give a gift to the church in Jerusalem that was experiencing financial hardship. So God hears the prayers of one church, people who are in need, and he takes and gives gifts to another church in Corinth so they have something that they can give. This is the economy of the household of God, an economy of abundance and generosity. Imagine it like a triangle where God is at the top and the brothers and the sisters are in each corner. And when one has need, God moves those who have to give for those who need. It's that thing we read about in Acts 2, that glorious picture of the first church, where at the center, at the heart of the passage, is everyone shared with one another whenever anyone had need. This is how the household of God works. And when you're in need, who do you go to? You go to your family. Even when you don't want to. (laughs) Even when you know they might give you a hard time or be belligerent or remember for a really long time exactly how much they gave you. We still go to family because when one member of a family has a need, we all share it. And we all meet it together. We care for one another. And that care overflows. Look at verse 12. The service that you perform, in other words, the gift that you're generously generously giving is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, the, the other church that's suffering, but it's overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. In other words, when you give your gift to them, they thank God for his generosity through you. The father, the brothers, and the sisters. And because of the service which you've proved yourselves Others will praise God for your obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. What's he saying here? He's talking about the gospel of Christ. Our generosity to one another is proof that the gospel's real. When people see the church caring and loving one another, even when it costs us financially, then they see the sacrament of the generosity of God who so, loved him, uh, who so loved us that he gave himself for us and offered himself as a sacrifice. When we give and care for and share and love one another, people see God at work and they say, maybe it's true. Maybe there is a father who provides, who gives generously. They see that the gospel is real. And so our sharing and caring for one another actually expands to sharing and caring for all those in our life who need and who are far from God and who God wants to invite into his family. 2 Corinthians 9, 15 closes by calling this an indescribable gift, the surpassing grace that God has given you. Paul's talking, yes, about the gift of God adopting us into his family. But he's talking about another gift as well. The gift of God inviting us into his very life of generosity. Nobody just wants a handout. Nobody just wants someone to 
give, and then, okay, well, I've got what I need. I'm good, thanks. Don't we want to be a part of it? Don't we want to contribute? Don't we want to have something to give too? Isn't that the toughest part of money being tight, that we feel like we can't give the way we want to? God gives us the gift of being able to give gifts like he does. I want to just tell you a story of giving in the household of God with a good father and with brothers and sisters. And as I was getting this message ready, um, I was thinking about this story. And then like two days later, it popped up on Facebook in my memories. So, Deb, would you just uh, show that? There's my status message from four years ago. Our hot wa uh, water heater was broken. And I had never had a broken hot water heater before. I never really had a hot water heater that I was responsible before. And uh, I tried fixing the valves. It didn't work. If you go to the next slide, you'll see people offering good advice like, better buy a new one. Yeah, thanks, guys. Um, and, uh, but we didn't have money. We cannot afford a new water heater. And then all of a sudden, uh, our friend from church, Jeannie, commented on the status. That's on the next slide. And she said, we have a water heater we're not using. Who has a water heater they're not using? It's not like a thing you have an extra. It's not like an like a, uh, air conditioner or like a fan, you know, like, oh, I've got a fan I'm not using. No, it's a, how, who? Well, they had a duplex, and when they converted it to a single-family home, they uninstalled one of the hot water heaters, and they had an extra one. So I called her, and she's like, yeah, we're having a garage sale tomorrow. We were going to put it out, but we'll save that for you. Um, but we're also selling three uh, soundtracks of Titanic. And so if you want the hot water heater, you're going to have to take the soundtracks off our hands too. And I said, that's okay. And you'll see my comment on the next slide, because at least my heat will go on and on. There's no point to the story. That was it. I just wanted to tell that joke. That week, we'd also gotten an unexpected bill for $270. And we couldn't afford to pay that either. It was at the end of the month, and we didn't know what we were going to do. And if you've ever been in that experience, you know how scary that is. Well, we picked up the hot water heater, and then a friend, you're here this morning, um, who we're getting to know as part of our plant team, came over and they installed it for us, and the parts came out to about $41. So we paid them for those. And so we were back $311 at the end of the month. We didn't know what we were going to do. And the next morning, we went out to the mailbox, and there was an envelope. Nothing written on it except our names. And in it was $300. Our father... All things are his, and he uses them to give all things. Had moved a sister who had an extra hot water heater, a brother who could install it, and whoever the sister and brother were who put that cash in that envelope to give generously, to see our need as their need, and to sacrifice to provide for us. And we were filled with an overflow of thanksgiving to God, that this is how his household works, that this is what happens. And in that act of his generosity, 
through others' generosity, we learned something about money. The meaning of money changed for us a little bit. It transformed into trust. That money could mean trust. Trust in the generosity of God, the Father. Trust in the generosity of his family, the church. I remember opening that envelope and counting it up, $311 back from what we needed to make our monthly budget, and turning to God and just saying, God, you're $11 short. (laughs) He knew I was joking. He's got a great sense of humor. He provided for us. Money means trusting in a generous father and in a generous family. You know, we, we all want to grow in our trust of God, don't we? But we don't want to be in situations where we'll have to. We want to see God provide, but we'd rather be able to provide for ourselves. Giving generously, arranging our financial lives of the household of God, gives us an opportunity to use money to teach us how to trust. Every time we give, we're using money sacramentally. We're letting it be the physical, tangible sign of our trust in the generosity of God. And you can go through your year. And you can not give. And at the end of that year, you can have 100% of your income to go towards your bills. But you know what? That probably won't, for most of us, solve all of our financial problems. Or at the end of the year, you can have spent that year giving regularly, joyfully, sacrificially to the household of God. And that won't solve all your financial problems either but you'll practice with every paycheck and with every gift, trusting in God. It's like tuition for the school of trust. And regularly giving that gift will be an occasion for seeing the generosity of God. It will change the meaning of money in your life. When an unexpected need arises, it'll be an opportunity to see the provision, the generosity of the Father and of your family. God, how are you going to provide for me in this? I'm ready to see you. I'm ready to trust in you. I've been practicing. And when an unexpected financial surplus arises, you work that extra shift. You get that bonus at work. It becomes an opportunity to see the generosity of God at work. God, how do you want me to use this money? Here's four ways to take a step in your generosity today. Let's talk about your relationship with money with God or with the brother and the sister. Two, set a budget. Know what you're spending and making. Three, Start giving now at a level that rearranges your priorities to the family mission of God and that makes you have to trust God. 
four, make a plan for increasing your generosity over the next years. Our financial life is not separate from our spiritual life because we are children of a generous father. And we are brothers and sisters in a generous family. We make our money, we spend our money, we give our money as children of God in the household of God. There is no other way to interact with money. And God wants us to know that we will have what we need and we can learn to trust him. Our budgets are God's budgets. Our, king, our, our, our finances, our money, it's God's money. It's for his family mission. Are we using it that way? Are we thinking about it? Thanks for listening to this podcast from City of Light Anglican Church. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us online at cityoflightanglican.org. And now, may the light of Jesus scatter the darkness from before your path.